You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, November the 10th. Brightening up nicely here in TW11. Lots to enjoy through the next half an hour or so. I'll be speaking to leading Irish jumps trainer Gavin Cromwell as his stable star Flooring Porter is on the cusp of a seasonal debut in Ireland at the weekend. I'll also be catching up with Paul Moroni, who has acquired Alon Kerr to head down under, no doubt for a significant sum. Group 1 winner who is still an entire could really mop up, you fancy, in Australia in the spring and autumn. Emma Berry from the TDN and I will be discussing the raft of stud fee announcements in the wake of Coolmore's release this morning, hot off the back of Flightline and Frankel and Dubawi and See the Stars and Baid. But the big news today is the retirement of Alpinista. She's been retired with immediate effect. She won't go to the Japan Cup. So Mark Prescott said, unfortunately, Alpinista suffered a slight setback. She'll not be able to take her chance in Japan. It's a great shame as the JRA have been fantastic in making arrangements. I can't thank them enough. Alpinista was exercised this morning, but has now been retired to stud where she will join the great broodmare band of Miss Rousing. As William Haggis said about Baid at the Cartier Awards last night, now the search begins for another one. So, as Sir Mark referenced, it was indeed racing's most glittering awards ceremony last night. Maddie Plale from the Racing Post was there. Uh, Maddie, what were the highlights for you? Oh, it was it was a fantastic night, Nick. But for me, one of the highlights the whole evening um, was seeing Kirsten Rousing um, collect the Award of Merit um, for 2022. Obviously, she's had such a standout year with Alpinista. Um, and I actually interviewed her before the Yorkshire Oaks in the summer, which was a real privilege. Um, and she sort of mentioned some of the historic bloodlines in her um, acceptance speech. And this is a woman who can go back seven eight generations like at the drop of a hat um so her knowledge and her contribution to racing and breeding i think um that was a real highlight for me kirsten rousing who's had an amazing autumn as well I and mean, you think just the other day another one of her homebred zaki won in australia she bred the st ledger winner elder elder of the arc winner alpinista the list is is seemingly endless and uh, she confirmed to us on this podcast a few weeks ago that it would likely be dubawi in the uh in the spring and then study of man her own stallion the next year which just shows how much faith she puts in the horses that she uh, she stands herself the other big winners of the night baid obviously champion older horse and, and horse of the year no surprise there nor the three-time group one winner highfield princess taking champion sprinter uh, now trc ranked three in the world kiprios a number one leading active horse in the world taking champion stare, one of the best stayers for many, many moons. I was interested in the two-year-olds, Maddie Blackbeard and Lazoo. The very classy horses, both, no doubt. And who knows, Lazoo may go on and achieve loads more. Blackbeard's been retired to stud. But did you get the feeling that they were rewards as much for 
um, frequency of appearance at the top level or frequency of success uh, as much as for, for, for absolute class. If you were asked to ask people who were the best two-year-olds of 2022, you might get several different answers. You might get Little Big Bear and Tahira, for example, or Meditate. Um, you might not get Blackbeard and, and Lazoo, yet they were the ones that took the, the Cartier Awards. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Um, and you have to bear in mind this is a, a, an award for the two-year-olds. So we have most evidence on Blackbeard and Lazoo in particular who maintained their form throughout the season. Um, Blackbeard in particular. Lazoo, obviously, she went on to win the Cheveley Park. So she's certainly a filly of considerable talent. But as you say, um, the likes of uh, the Platinum Queen Tahira commissioning, uh, they missed out. So an interesting take, I think, on, on the two-year-olds. But I think it's right that we focus more on the whole of the season. And of course, no surprise that Baid took horse of the year again. Did he get a, a suitably big ovation? Yes, he did. And it was quite emotional, actually, um, from the, the Shadwell team talking about what this horse meant to, to Sheikh Ahissa and also um, what it would have meant to Sheikh Hamdan. How much that uh, loss in the champion stakes is, is going to sort of dent or not dent his legacy is a, is a fascinating thing but we have to remember he was just spectacular on the track he's fully deserving um of the horse the year and the older horse the year awards well i've never known such a, a flurry of a big money stallion fees being announced within sort of 24 hours of each other and and never quite known the interest in them either. I'm joined by European editor of the Thoroughbred Daily News, Emma Berry. The Coolmore fees have just been announced to go with Flightline at two hundred thousand dollars and Frankel at what is he two seventy five now and Dubawi at three fifty and they just seem to come thick and fast. Emma, what's the news from Coolmore? Um, well, yes, Coolmore's fees just out this morning, 175,000 for No Nay Never. That's a 50,000 50, euro rise from his fee from last year. But I think everyone can agree he's had a, a pretty outstanding year with some uh, top class runners. And his course, he's going to be joined by Blackbeard, his son, on the roster at 25,000 euros. That's his opening fee. And there, there does seem to have been a bit of a race to the top this year is that is that just because there are a lot of elite stallions or is it because of inflation or what 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 do you think's behind it i think we are happily in a golden era of stallions in in britain and ireland especially here in britain actually we're you know we're so lucky to have dubawi still going strong at the age of 20 frankel of course um kingman uh, we've got some special salients and of course no no never as we said um has sort of rather taken up the baton for Coolmore since the the loss of Galileo and uh, I think we're going to see a real explosion of that scat daddy line which is I mean is already happening on their roster but it's only going to become more so I think in the future when you think we've got little big bear hopefully still to run next year Sioux Nations had a rise in his fee this year because he's had a very good start with his first runners so uh Yes, we're probably going to see a lot more of, of, of that skyline coming through, especially Cornwall. Yeah, and of course they've got Justify standing King's Ransom in, in Kentucky as well. Uh, what was your reaction to the 200 grand opening opening bid for Flightline? I suppose my reaction was I wish he wasn't standing at Stardew at all next year. I mean, golly, we've only just seeing how exciting he is through this summer and i'd love to see him race again but that's in the past now we have to let that go um i'm not surprised um and i'm sure they won't struggle to fill him initially at all um just just a shame we're not going to see him race again
It's not exactly a surprise that Dubawi and Frankel are, are commanding I- enormous fees. Is this sustainable, though, Emma? Is it sustainable to have this many stallions way north of uh, of six figures? I think it is because I'm, you know, this, uh, the teams at these various studs know their jobs. They're not, um, they will have thought long and hard about um, where to pitch them. And when you have horses of the calibre of Dubawi, Frankel and co, and there aren't many of that calibre, it's an elite group, your biggest problem isn't filling them. It's letting people down, you know, the people who want to come to them. And, and we're not just talking about the mares, the best mares in Britain and Ireland. We're talking about all of Europe, all of the world. You know, people travel, send mares from the Southern Hemisphere to cover, uh, to be covered by Frankel in Southern Hemisphere time. You know, that's how, that's his lure. He's obviously never shuttled and Dubawi isn't shocking for years um so you know they people come to them they're that good so from your perspective where do you see value emma is baid value strange though it sounds for a freshman sire at 80 grand um i don't know if you can call it eighty thousand value i mean he has everything to prove he's a terrific racehorse you know that with wonderful bloodlines so yes it's probably a fair opening fee for a horse who did what he did, he's starting at roughly the same sort of level as his as his sire, see the stars did, and he, you know, has just maintained his fee throughout. He's been he's been terrifically successful, and let's hope Baid does as well. Um, you know, I think probably for me the value is going to the more proven sires, the older sires that sort of start to, you know, people forget about them. They haven't, you know, and maybe there is an argument that. Um, obviously, sires wane in their fertility as they get older. But when you look at horses like, you know, Oasis Dream, he is an older stallion now, but he's been twenty thousand for a couple of years and remains at that. If Raj is fifteen thousand, you know, he's standing at a tenth of the fee of his son, Wooden Bassett. Um, he's a, you know, he's a very dependable stallion. Again, he is older, so I suppose you know there is the risk that they're, you know, that as they get older, their fertility isn't quite what it was. But again, Tiafilo, another very proven sire. With you know, with sending young mares to these kind of horses, you know what you're going to get. Hopefully, and he sees thirty thousand as well. I mean, that to me is is where the value is at that sort of middle market. And Bated Breath is another one, fifteen thousand. He's again a very dependable stallion. And and it's it's probably worth remembering that you know, before everyone gets carried away by saying that there's all these stallions commanding enormous prices it, it, it's it's 20 odd years since stormcat was was asking half a million ago yes indeed i mean at that top end when when the horses really have earned that elite status um you know you you can pretty much you know write your own fee and you know a lot of the horses a lot of the mares going to Dubai, i'm sure will be full shares i would think and and at his age i'm sure you know, he covered, I think, 160 odd mares last year. I'm sure it will they will start to limit the number of his mares and, and protect him as he, as he gets older. Um, so you know, you you you're getting less of a good thing if you like. So you're going to have to pay more for it. So and and I'm sure a lot of those arrangements will probably be full shares as well. And bear in mind, Darley have a lot of mares of their own um, and their associates as well. Who will be wanting wanting to use Dubawi. Emma, very few new recruits to the the stallion stations uh, of, of real strength and significance blackbeard added to coolmore's roster we've spoken about him and two royal ascot winners added to to godolphin or Adali's stallion roster naval crown uh, and perfect power uh, have we reached saturation point now do you think and there are a lot out there um you know in a way it's great to see that 
perhaps more horses are staying in training. We want to see them race. Um, of course, we've got Stradivarius going to the national stars as well. Mustn't forget him. Um, but yeah, look, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know if there's ever a saturation point. But I mean, the f- fashion and popularity dictates, you know, how long horses will stay at Stard and, and you know which stars will want to stand them. Uh, Emma Berry there, the European editor for the Thoroughbred Daily News. The Racing Post, Maddie Playle, is still with me. 175 grand for No Nay Never, Maddie. How do you like them apples? I know a big, a big, fa- a big favourite of yours. I, I have nothing against the Cyanic. Um, I'm a huge admirer of him. Um, I, I think he tends to produce horses in the same mould. Um, you can usually spot them out in the paddock, can't you? Tall, dark, handsome, precocious, muscular. Um yeah, I mean, when you look at Flightline, uh, his opening fee of $200,000, Dibawi, 350 Frankel, 275 Um, No name ever for me. He still has to really prove it with his three-year-olds. He came close to winning the Guineas with Wichita, of course, a couple of years ago. Um, but there's still that nagging doubt in the back of my mind whether he's going to really make it as a as a top-notch you're, side you're, you're, you're doubling down on this and i have great i've got great admiration for you because i was i, I was i was trying to get a rise and and didn't didn't succeed in getting one for for those who for those who just landed from mars um you you managed to poke the hornet's nest earlier in the season by by suggesting that that yeah it would they weren't it wasn't a foregone conclusion that these horses would all be classic winners next year no um and I think people got slightly carried away with it. I did write it back in August and and we hadn't seen uh, the Breeders' Cup win of Meditate, obviously. And I want them to succeed. I want these to be superstars. I want them to be three-year-old champions. But the fact is, No Name Ever's resume doesn't have um, that British classic winner on it yet. All right. So if Meditate or Little Big Bear or both win the... 1000 and 2000 guineas next year will you guarantee to me that you will be you you will be fully emblazoned in no nay never merch you'll have the t-shirt <laughs> the jacket the cap and you will sport them to the roly mile on the next on the next race day sure sure let's give it a go <laughs> all right i'm looking forward to that let's switch codes uh, and talk about cheltenham this weekend um the paddy power gold cup looks a, a, a typically a good race, a typically competitive race. Quite simply, Maddie, where's your money going? Do you think? I must confess, I was I was more charmed by the Greatwood Hurdle. Um, I think this year's Paddy Power is uh, it's certainly interesting, but I'm not sure it will turn out to be as strong as previous renewals. But we'll just have to see. Uh, I wrote about this in my weekender column earlier in the week, and. Having gone around the houses a bit, um, the one I sort of settled on, if I was having a bet, is is Cool Cody. Um, won the race before. He's an 11-year-old now, so he's certainly not going to be um, filling the, the stats criteria. Um, but I just think this horse hasn't really got the credit he's deserved. Um, he probably would have won this race last year if he hadn't fallen two out. Uh, then went on to win twice uh, on the other course, including in the plate at the festival. That came off one four five. He's running off one five one, so that's a huge jump up. But a racing post rating uh, back in March of one five seven shows you that this horse is just taking his form to new levels all the time. He's had a pipe opener. He ran perfectly fine in a handicap hurdle behind Seddon at the showcase meeting. Um, and you're talking about a horse who loves decent ground, is going to get 
could get um, something of an easy lead. And you just know that you can set your clock by him. So I thought in a race where I found it quite hard to fathom which horses had a lot in hand from the handicapper, 1620 to 1 for Cool Cody, I thought was a big price. We often see that at Cheltenham, don't we? If a horse likes the track, they tend to continue winning uh, well into their older years. Yeah, Evan Williams was on Tuesday's podcast talking about Cool Cody, and he said he doesn't know what it is about the place. It shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't make sense, but it just seems to to bring him alive. And you said you thought the Great Wood Hurdle was more interesting. Yeah, probably just because there's there's a few more unknowns in there. Um, Sonic Gino's looked a completely different horse this year for Paul Nichols, um, who coincidentally could have a really strong team sending to Cheltenham. I'm interested to see how Hermes Allen gets on uh, tomorrow. And then Thousand Tears is a typical Paul Byrne, Emmett Mullins uh, job, isn't it? So it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out already four to one. And then Dad's Lad, obviously, he's he's owned by by a small group of owners um, who made the very most of their win at the showcase meeting. Now reverting back to hurdles is marks considerably higher in the UK, of course, of one, two, eight. Um, but I just think it's, it's a really interesting race. You've got Jim Coco who one last time, I think beat some nice prospects um, could be anything. Um, and the horse I like in the race is a different kind for Donald McCain. Um, he ran at the track last year behind North Lodge and Balco Coastal. And at the bottom of the hill, he was he was travelling strongest. And um, I thought his comeback at Aintree was was good. That's often a good pointer um, to future events for the rest of the season. Paisley Park won it a good couple of years ago. And again, I thought that, that Aintree race was was full of second season novice hurdlers who, who were really progressive um, rather than horses that we knew where they were. Peking Rose, the winner, um, nearly won the Aintree bumper at the track. So I think he was a very well handicapped horse. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the Great Wood um, and hopefully there's an impressive winner. All right. Well, I thought it would be a good idea today. Check in for the first time this jump season with Gavin Cromwell because his stable star, Flooring Porter, is in the two and a half mile graded hurdle at Navan on Sunday. And Gavin, is the intention to kick the season off this weekend? Yes, Nick, um, absolutely. Uh, I hope we have a little bit more luck in it than we did last year. Um, where are you going to fall? Um, he's, in, he's in good nick. Um, we're happy to get him started up, started off, but um, obviously um, all roads will be for leading towards Shelton, so he's not fully wound up. Um, it's quite a, a good race if they all show up. So um, he's a big task on hand, but uh, look at a nice run. And we'd be happy with that. Uh, we, we've talked about him a lot because he's obviously a, a real character. He's he's mercurial. He's he's a little bit unpredictable, but he's a damn good horse when everything clicks. Like a really good horse. Uh, is he getting any easier to to deal with or train? He is. He's maturing a bit, and uh, I suppose as time goes on, we're you know we we become better at handling him. I suppose and. and um, you know, got used to his quirks, and and um, but he definitely is maturing a bit. Um, I suppose you don't want to see all of the madness go out of meter. Certainly, um, <laughs> adds a bit of spark to him. You know, it is. A, I think it's important for. Him. And what's he like when he has his time off? When he goes out, when you turn him out for the summer, does he does he allow himself to relax and and chill out and do himself? He's, he's um. This year we had we had him um 
we had him just just close by and um you know he's he's the one horse that would actually come up to you in the field and and you give him a rub and yeah he's he's uh he completely chills out he he's he's great like that I'm just looking at the the entries for the race. You said it was looking a pretty good race. You're not wrong. I mean, for for a Grade Two in early November, you see it a Burley Grade One winner, Tia Poo on the recovery mission, Zana here, Champion Hurdle plays, Bob Olinger. They're all there. Oh, it's it's a, it's a hundred percent Grade One race. Um, maybe not in name, but definitely if they all show up, it's a, it's a it's a very good race. How are you looking to pick your way through the season? You just had the four starts last year. Is it going to be a similarly light season? Do you think, or do you think you get a few more runs in him? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think like we'll go, we'll go to the Grade One at Christmas in Epperson and and straight to Cheltenham, um, and and look at after that. We'll see where we go. You know, entry is definitely an option, and um, Altai is an option. So, but it, it, it's all about Cheltenham. So uh, you'll only have the two. That's interesting. You, you you'd head to Otoy. Which which of the Otoy races would it be? The, is it is it called the Champion Hurdle over there? It's the three mile. Um, okay, the one that Thousand Stars won a few years ago. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you've you've got a smattering of of Cheltenham entries over the next couple of days. Uh, Sweet Will and Railway Hurricane are both in one in the in the handicap hurdle. Sweet Will and Railway Hurricane in the novices handicap chase tomorrow Friday. Neither is a big price. Do both have big chances? Um, Railway Hurricane is still a maiden over fences and been very frustrating. Keeps getting beat, uh, but he has a chance. Um, I think he will. You know he's he's threatened to win so many times, um, and he isn't good nick. So hopefully it will be nice. Um, and Sweet Will, he only won a couple of days ago in in Fairy House, which with the penalty gets him into the race. But obviously coming very soon. But um, look, we'll, we'll uh, the lads will love to have a runner over there, and um, hopefully he has a chance. And I see Jeremy's flame is in at, in at the weekend as well at, at Nace on Saturday. Is uh, is Jeremy's flame? Is she a potential runner? She is. Um, it's looking. There's a mare's chase in Clamel on Thursday that we were aiming at, but it's looking like the ground's going to be heavy down there. So I'd say we might go to Nice. Um, look, a good race as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the tears in it. But uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I suppose it's 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 a it's a great one almost as well. I mean, I mean, none of us should be surprised, should we? But it does seem that the gulf in competitiveness between the two nations is is only getting bigger and not smaller. Absolutely, it's um, yeah, it's it's just season on season. It seems to be getting unbelievably competitive. Gavin, good luck this weekend. We'll see you at Cheltenham tomorrow. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Bye bye. That's trainer Gavin Cromwell. Good luck to him with Flooring Porter at the weekend. Incredibly competitive racing in Ireland. No surprise there. And they'll probably win a whole bunch of races at the Paddy Power meeting as well, though no Irish winner of the feature race, as Cornelius told you yesterday, since the late noughties when Tranquil C was successful. Maddie Playler still with me. And Maddie, some important pieces of news from across the continent. First of all, concerning jockey Pierre-Charles Boudot in France, who we haven't seen riding for a long time. Just remind everybody what's happened here and what the latest development in this case is. Yeah, indeed. So his um, licence, there was a series of rolling suspensions applied to it in May 2021 uh, due to a charge of rape. Um, the ARC winning jockey has categorically denied that. But now um, the France Gallo stewards... Um, following demands made by the police and the Ministry of the Interior have withdrawn that licence indefinitely. Um, so I think it's safe to say we, we won't be seeing uh, Pierre-Charles Boudot 
riding um, for a, a very, very long time. We still don't know whether um, the case will go to trial. So this is a, a, a case that is going to stretch on and on. Um, something curious at Kempton last night, just scanning through the stewards reports. What's popped up here? Yes, so Hayley Turner, um, who was requested uh, to provide a urine sample, failed to arrive. She was due to ride Sunday in May uh, for William Knight in the 7.30. Um, permission was given for Danny Muscat to take the ride, um, but I'm sure more news will follow on that in the coming hours. Well, as I've been saying all week, we've been profiling the upcoming Racehorse Owners Association Awards that take place on the 8th of December. And just tucked in there at the head of the, the list of entries for the all-weather horse of the year is uh, Alon Kerr, chiefly by dint of the fact that he won uh, the Winter Derby in a, in a very, very good time last year before going on to, to win a Group 1 race at the Curra, the, the Gold Cup there. Uh, he's had a, a pretty good season thereafter. Uh, but he's now been sold to Australia to join the Moroni team. And Paul Moroni is is on the line now, fresh from having seen their emissary finish second in, in the Melbourne Cup this year. Um, Paul, Alan Kerr's a seriously good horse to be going to, to Australia. How difficult was it to get your hands on him? Well, look, he's a horse I've been following for a long time. I actually liked him as a yearling uh, at Tats. In fact, he made my first and second looks and uh, I thought he was a lovely, scopy, staying type of horse. And, and then who has been my you know my eyes and ears up there for a number of years now especially through uh, more so through the COVID times uh, he actually bought him for some clients and uh, you know, I was thrilled that he got him and uh, therefore I've followed his career very closely I've had many long discussions with Amanda over the phone about the horses he progressed through his grades and and, and taken on you know some outstanding horses and some very good races and uh, quite honestly I never thought there would be an opportunity that the horse would become come available at a level that we might be able to secure him for Australia but um, when it was um, mooted to me that there was a possibility uh, that the horse could be bought um, I grabbed the opportunity with both hands and, and said to Mike, yeah, we've really got to get hold of this horse. He, he's, um, he can be bought at a level now that I think we can make him work down here. And uh, you know, we, we went hard at it um, and got the deal together. Uh, the horse was actually vetted to the, uh, the day before the horse, autumn horses and training sale, but obviously we have to sit and wait for bloods to come back for export purposes and make sure we have you know all the i's dotted and t's t's crossed um you know on a deal like this and uh there's always a, a couple of week delay with, with those bloods getting sent away and getting tested um if you have, you have various things and the fact that he's a, an entire there's swabs that have to be taken um for export purposes so um yeah that sort of put us on the back burner a little bit for the horses and training sale because we knew we were taking a fairly a, a big gulp and, and at a horse at a, at a fairly high level um, we, we still had Amando out there looking for us and we had a go at four or five most of those ended up in the hands of either um, Saudi Arabians or Australians so um, but we we decided to we'd secured the horse or were close to securing the horse that we really wanted to to have um, and 
and we're just over the moon that we've got them. Um, yeah, I bet. We, I, put, we put a team together pretty quickly and made sure that we we locked the deal. And there was other people interested in the horse, um, but we yeah we, we went hard and, and within like a forty eight hour period locked in a deal and, um, and then carried on from there and, and went through all the vetting procedures and everything came up trump. So there you are. I don't want to do to betray any confidences, but what sort of races does he need to be winning in order to make this investment worthwhile? Um, look, he needs to be winning a Group One weight for age race, really, uh, to cement his value down there as a potential stallion. Uh, more likely in somewhere like New Zealand, I would guess. Um, you know, if, if he can win a weight for age two thousand meter race down there, uh, and and that would just bolster his his reputation. He's already got one up north, um, and, and and it puts him. Therefore, if he can do it down here as well, it puts him in line to potentially to be a, a shuttle stallion. Um, there's there's lots of avenues of of, of 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 boosting their value, adding to their value, and uh, you know we just think we've got the right horse to to be able to, to put forward towards those various scenarios. And a, a, a nice Group One, two thousand meter weight for age race, uh, whether it be a, a Ranvet or a Queen Elizabeth or an Australian Cup or a Cox Plate, um, one would be nice, two would be brilliant, three would be a dream. Uh, that would put him in line to be a definite stallion prospect down down under. Yeah, you know, albeit he's by a stallion people don't really know a lot about oh. down here, but I certainly do. It, um, you you know, don't. You don't need to. You don't need to sell me Adler Flug. I mean, let's face it, he, he has very few opportunities. He had an arc winner. He had an arc runner-up. He, he's had your horse, who's done great. Yeah, he's had another Group 1 winner in Germany this year. Uh, in three years in a row, he, he's produced the runner-up in the arc uh, in, in Swoop, and then the winner of the arc, Torquato Tasso, who then backed up and was runner-up in the arc again. So, you know, when, when you've got a stallion who, from limited opportunities, can produce a class of horse, uh, that he has, you know, including the horse we've just bought, you know, that is a serious stallion. And uh, you know, whilst it's a, it's a line down here that's probably not well known, um, it's certainly well known up north, and and that could help us in the future if we uh, are looking for Northern Hemisphere partners to turn this horse into a shuttle stallion further down the track. Paul Moroni there, who narrowly missed out with Brother Mike on victory in the Melbourne Cup with Emissary and now has Alon Kerr to look forward to. Alon Kerr, one of the nominees in All-Weather Horse of the Year at this year's ROA Awards. Well, time is flying along and it won't be long until it's Monday the 28th of November, which is a date for your diary because it's the industry's first health and well-being conference. It's organised by Racing Welfare, uh, the charity that we're very pleased and keen to support here on the on the podcast and i'm joined by their director of welfare simone sear to tell us a little bit more the first conference of its kind simone for for racing and breeding just tell me what you're trying to achieve by it yeah um thank you nick it, it is the first conference of its kind for um particularly for us to run and really what we what we want to achieve is is the chance to um bring people from right across the industry together um, to hear from a wide range of, of expert speakers about current workplace health and well-being topics, but specifically how they relate to, you know, the horse racing industry's people. And this has come about in 2022. Why? Why did you think now was the right time to to launch this? I think 
I mean, our mission and vision, Nick, is to ensure that everyone in the race and industry has the opportunity to thrive. Um, and I and I think part of that is 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 about a, you know an educational piece, a prevention piece, and and for people to come and hear you know why it's so important and to listen to some of the latest latest research. And I think as well with with the way that you know we things have been over the last few years of post pandemic society, things like the cost of living crisis. There's there's so many pressures um, on people, whether you're running a business or whether you're, you know, an employee. And never before has, you know, workplace well-being or, or the well-being of individual people working in any industry been so important. So it's very, very topical at the moment. So tell me a little bit about the programme you've got lined up. So we've got speakers. I mean, we're going to start the day off. Um, Michael Caulfield is, is our keynote speaker, and he's going to talk about the importance of health and well-being in the horse racing industry and then we have a range of um, expert speakers who are talking to different topics. So looking at mental health uh, um, and the relationship between that and working conditions in racing. We'll look at um, psychological impact of accidents and injuries in racing from, from um, a researcher and occupational health, what it is and how it can help horse racing. We've even got someone talking about the health and, health and well-being in small businesses and some of the challenges and solutions for that. So the beauty of this is it's a virtual platform. So it doesn't matter where you are in the UK or in fact globally, you can join the conference. Um, we've, we've got huge capacity. Um, it's, it's 45 pounds to register for a ticket and everyone that attends will get a certificate. Um, and if it's important, you know, it might be to some people to have, you'll get a certificate with seven and a half hours of um, CPD points on it as well. So it's great value. Um, and also, you know, if somebody couldn't stay for the whole day, you can always watch it back at a later date. So we wanted that to be really accessible because we know some of the challenges for people, you know, to get away from their workplaces. All right. Thanks, Simone, and all my guests today. Maddie Playl from The Racing Post is still here and has a tip for you for today, although it doesn't have to be today, Maddie. It could be one for the weekend if you prefer. Let's go big or go home then, Nick. Uh, I will go for a different kind in the Greatwood Handicap Hurdle on Sunday. All right, Maddie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, November the 10th. I'll be coming to you from Cheltenham tomorrow, Friday. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.